We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 115 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. It is the 27th of September, 2017. With me, the one and only, the Velvet Glove himself, Scott. How are you? I'm really well, thanks, Trevor. It's been a couple of weeks, but I'm back ready to ready and ready to go. So, yeah. That's good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm That's good. good. This time, dear listener, we are recording on our traditional Wednesday night um, recording time. Last time Scott and I got together was a daytime. It was on the weekend. It was like a Saturday afternoon or something like that. Scott, was it right? Saturday or Sunday? Yeah, it was, yeah. Mm. And there was um, a crow. Saturday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, there was a crow sitting out your front veranda. And if that bloody crow <laughs> didn't let off a, a core core every 10 seconds, I'm not here. I. So apologies, dear listener, that that made it onto the tape. I ended up actually editing it, so anyone who who downloads it now, a lot of the crows being deleted. But I tell you what, I was ready to delete that crow itself by the end of it. But anyway, <laughs> so hopefully audio is a bit better this time. Ah, uh, Scott, um, bunch of topics to get through, and look, dear listener. We've been banging on about same-sex marriage for a while now, but it is, it is a significant topic when we are, you know, having a, um, uh, you know, a strange postal survey and all the rest, so we have to keep talking about it. And just the, the reaction of various players is still worth commentating on, I think. Scott, you'd agree? The uh, scrotum of religious nutters. They are getting <laughs> more and more hilarious as they go on. Yeah. I mean, did you see that... Uh, Archbishop of Brisbane saying that same-sex couples were nothing more than friends. You know, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's a bit rich when um, celibate priests start telling people what married life should be about. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Mm. Mm. So anyway, we'll kick off with uh, Queensland leader uh, of the LNP, Tim Nichols. He came out in an article... And, uh, and said that he's going to vote uh, in favour of same-sex marriage. And I've, I've just got a bit of the tape here to play for of Tim Nichols. Just uh, bear with me. Hi, sorry, that was just the lead-up to his talk. But, you know, it's... <laughs> He was on the porch with his wife and three children, apparently, um, and had an interesting discussion with them. And he said, "This has been really hard for me. I came from a tra- I come from a traditional marriage, a traditional background." Mister Nichols said, "Ultimately, it was St Paul's letter to the Corinthians in the Bible which swayed him in favour of marriage equality." Quote, he says, "Faith, hope, love, and the greatest of these is love." He said. And on that basis, I voted yes. Scott, talk about getting the right answer, but with the wrong working. <laughs> I mean, if, if this was a math paper... You'd, you'd have to fail him, wouldn't you'd, you? You'd, yeah. Part marks for the correct answer, and you'd lose marks for the poor working out along the way. 
I mean, yeah, I, I read it and I thought to myself, Jesus, what's he smoking? You know, it's um, anyway, like you said, he got the right answer in the end, but you just can't agree with the way he got there anyway. Mm. Scott, I've been saying for a while that these politicians just don't represent the, uh, you know, the average Australian in their religiosity. I mean, how many, how many average Australians are actually resorting to St Paul's letter to the Corinthians to make this decision? You would have thought not many. Well, I would have thought bugger all would be, yeah. You would have thought not many. But I'm beginning to have doubts, Scott, because unfortunately, well, or fortunately, the essential report came out. And you know, in the past we've talked about Pew Research doing interesting sort of questions of... of international populations and their thoughts on different things and wishing that some of these thoughts were done in Australia. Well, I reckon Essential Report has come out with um, something that along the lines of what I've been asking for, and the results are quite frightening, Scott. So uh, before moving on to that, um, two-party preferred, what do you reckon the current standings are compared to, you know, for the, if there was an election? <laughs> Fifty-two to forty-eight for the Labor Party. Yeah, fifty-three, forty-seven on this one, but that's uh, all within margins of error. Uh, Same-sex marriage, the current um, voting yes and voting no on same-sex marriage. What do you reckon? Um, I thought that was. Um, uh, I think it's fifty-seven of voting yes and. 30-something voting no, and 9% are undecided. Very close. Yeah, close enough, Scott. 58 were voting yes. So there's been a bit of a rebound. Okay. It was as low as 55 were voting yes. So they've broken it up into various, you know, demographic demographic subgroups based on age and gender and, and um, you know, what political party they follow. And on all of those subgroups, the majority are voting yes in favour of marriage equality. So that's good. There's one subgroup in this whole thing where, in fact, the majority are voting no. And um, and that, Scott, was the group who decided they will not be voting. So it's very interesting. Of the people who have already voted, 72% are voting yes... But of the people who will not vote, a huge majority were actually saying that they would say no. So it seems like the no vote is kind of oh, abstaining from voting, according to this. Well, it certainly looks that way, doesn't it? Mm. So, don't know why, but anyway, that's, that's how that's turned out. Um, here's the part that I was getting to earlier in terms of what people, all the frightening thing that came out. So this is Australians. They polled a 1,000 of them and asked, do you believe or disbelieve the following propositions? Number one, heaven and hell both exist as destinations after life. Scott, how many people do you reckon believe that? 55, 60%? It's 40 but that's a lot. Forty percent of Australians believe in heaven and hell. Okay, I'm surprised it's that low. Actually, I thought it'd be higher than that. Right. Yeah. Angels and demons are active in the world. Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine oh. percent. 
believe that. Uh, ghosts exist and can and can influence will on the living. Thirty five percent. Extra <laughs> extraterrestrials have visited the Earth. How many people believe that's the case, Scott? Thirty-five percent. Very good. Thirty-four percent. Yep. Uh, the story of creation in the Book of Genesis is a true account of the first man and woman. Probably twenty-five percent. Thirty-four percent of Australians think that. Really. Mm. Mm. Global warming is a hoax perpetrated by scientists. How many people believe that? 21%. Spot on. Absolutely spot on, Scott. Yeah, I've got to admit, I did read that somewhere. Oh, so okay. Anyway. <laughs> All right, okay. Vaccines can cause autism. Uh, 14%. It's, so, you know, I've been banging on about how these uh, politicians don't represent average Australians. but Clearly, a number of them are, yeah. We have to do something about the education in this country. It's that's they are frightening statistics. Yeah, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, uh, there was a science uh, I, I forget what it's called, but it is a uh, it is a study that is released every couple of years that looks at the level of science and that sort of stuff in the general population. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that really frightened me, and this is a couple of years ago. It came out that said that um, a majority of people believed that humans and no, not a majority, but a significant minority, like thirty or something percent, believed that humans and dinosaurs existed at exactly the same time. Really? Wow. Yes. Now that is frightening. You know <laughs> that um, you could think that. You know. Yeah. Goodness me, Scott. Mm. Uh, a lot of hoo ha around the you know, the marriage equality debate with the religious groups saying that they're being persecuted by aggressive gay marriage activists. And yeah. one of the things they've complained about <laughs> is is the um, SMS message that came into people's mobile phones uh, from the Say Yes campaign. Which yeah, and in- I had to agree with Tanya Plibersek on this. I'm sorry to cut you off, but... Mm-hmm. She said that we didn't want this campaign, but because we've got this campaign, we've got to actually persecute, we've got to actually prosecute it like a campaign. And she said, here they are complaining that we're actually out there campaigning. Yes. You know, it's exactly what it came down to. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I, I no, apologize no, for cutting I was after your opinion, so, you know. I, well, it, okay, the, the opinion of the way the campaign is being run, um, because it's a... See, most of my family and friends have already voted. Mm-hmm. They've already they received their form, they filled it out, and they sent it back straight away that day. Mm. And that therefore makes, you know, I got an email from the Yes campaign today saying that call flutes have arrived, do you want to come in and grab them, stick them up on your house? And I thought to myself, well, most people have already voted anyway. It's pretty pointless, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the campaign itself has been run via social media, it seems to me. More so than, I mean, there's been TV ads and that sort of stuff too, but it's been, the, the fundraising has gone through social media, I know, because I've contributed a fair amount of money to it. Mm. Um, and, you know, it has been whipped up by social media for sure. Now, what I haven't seen is this, and this is where the social media is a real bubble. You know, I haven't seen much of the no case because, 
yep. you know, it doesn't, you don't get fed stuff unless you're interested in it. So um, occasionally I've seen the it's okay to vote no and that sort of stuff, but uh, that's been about it. Mm. Scott, you don't hear it because they're too scared of being persecuted. So they're afraid, <laughs> they're afraid to say. Well, you know what? My brother said to me something tonight. He said, as far as he's concerned, he said, it is not okay to vote no. Because he said, mm. you, you, are, you are discriminating against people. You are maintaining the discrimination that's already in the law. And therefore, it's not okay to vote no. And I thought to myself, yeah, he's probably right there. You know? well, that was good. Yeah. A, there are quite a few people seemingly up in arms about the fact that they received, you know, text messages um, imploring them to vote. And, and they're saying, well, for that reason alone, I am going to vote no because of this invasion of my pri- privacy. Yeah, um, for God's sake. I mean, it's a text message. If you don't agree with it, you delete it. Exactly. So um, yeah. came across this Facebook post from a page called FARQ, F-A-R-U-E-K-E-W, and in that she makes a good comment. She expresses it quite well. She says, I'm angry that some people are so unaware of their own privileges that others fought for. They think changing or abstaining from their vote because of a text, an ad, because everyone on Facebook won't shut up about it, or being told what to think is annoying. Uh, that that's acceptable. And she says, it isn't. And that's right. Just because you're annoyed by these things doesn't mean that's an acceptable reason to vote no. Like, just grow up. It's not acceptable. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I personally think these guys were just looking for an excuse to actually say, this is why I'm voting no. Mm, I think so. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, very fragile sense of privacy that they would, um, you know... Ignore the substantive issues because of form. Uh, mm. that, that is annoying. Um, Jane Caro is one of the um, ambassadors that Brian Morris got lined up for the, for the um, lobby group that he's forming. And she wrote mm-hmm. an article which was published in the Sydney Morning Herald. And I'll just read some excerpts from what she said. It was quite a good article, wasn't it? Oh, well... I'll read what the bits I disagree... Well, some of the things I disagree with, actually. She says, for example... (laughs) um, She says, a faith-based school can employ the gay physics teacher if that is all they can find. And then fire them when a straight one turns up, no questions asked. I mean, that's true, they can. Mm. She's giving examples of discrimination here that that religious groups can, can safely conduct. And she's saying that what are they complaining about in terms of you know, losing their so-called freedom because they have these abominable rights to dis- discriminate and they'll continue to have them. And she's giving these examples. Another one is, um, uh, and some churches have certainly chosen to discriminate this way in the past. The principal of the Holy Family Catholic Primary School at Skinner's Head in New South Wales was fired for remarrying after divorce in 2006. Uh, and she goes on, Catholic hospitals, for example, do not offer women terminations. Section 23, subsection 3B of the Commonwealth Sex Discrimination Act specifically allows discrimination in the provision of accommodation. So presumably, religious-run retirement communities can continue to refuse entry by same-sex couples, married or not. 
So she gives the examples of discrimination, um, says, what are they doing complaining? All these things will continue. And Jane Caro says, nevertheless, I have no problem with churches keeping their exemptions from the Anti-Discrimination Act. Those with religious beliefs should be able to exercise their faith as they wish. What I don't like Yeah, see, is that's the, where I would probably mm, disagree with her there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. She says, what I don't like is the amorphous and fluid nature of the religious exemptions. It makes it hard for the rest of us to make informed decisions. Religious organisations should nominate the grounds on which they discriminate, display this fact on all job ads, prospectuses, etc. If you claim the right to discriminate, then surely the rest of us have the right to clearly know and understand who will be affected and why. I reckon... She's caving in way too easily on this issue, and others have as well, when, you know, these religious groups are saying, oh, you know, we're going to lose our religious freedom if marriage equality is passed, and we won't be able to continue with the discrimination that we can conduct at the moment. And she's saying, well, I think you should be able to continue with it. What? You know, marriage equality campaigners need to grow some balls on this issue and say, well, you shouldn't have the rights to do this. It's wrong. Like, they're sort of caving into them, aren't they? Because they're like, oh, let's just win the easy argument and let's not complicate things by, you know, introducing this other stuff. I take your point, but I also think that I agree with their strategy in that... um you know, you hear the slippery slope argument and that sort of stuff, saying that once they've got this, then they'll want that and blah, 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 blah. Mm. Um, I think that um, once marriage equality is passed and once it does go through the legislature and that sort of stuff, I think then's the time to pick the arguments with the churches and that sort of thing. And you can say to them, no, if your hospital's going to receive Medicare funding, it's got to offer terminations. <laughs> You know, so you're and agreeing with thing. Joan Caro, then, are you? Well, not not in hundred percent of the words. I mean, what I'm trying to say is that the discrimination that they're able to that they're able to get away with now, mm. they shouldn't be able to keep up with that beyond the vote. See, but I, I do understand where she's coming from. Yeah, I think she should say to them, "Well, you know what? Just changing the definition isn't going to change any of that. So you're safe for the moment." Mm. But. Once we've got over this argument, then yes, we should be examining these other exemptions and it'll, you know, everything should be up for grabs. Shouldn't shy away Absolutely. from the argument. Mm. Mm. So uh, it's just a classic example where they talk about their, um, their freedom uh, and if they don't get their freedom, it's persecution. Have you, um, on Facebook, do you follow Betty Bowers at all? Yeah, Betty? I do. <laughs> so, so she paints herself as America's best America's Christian. best Christian, yes. <laughs> it's a satirical thing, dear listener. She's very, very good. And she I'm is just, exceptionally funny, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. And um, I've just got a little excerpt of one of the things that she had to say on this issue. I'll play that. If I discriminate against or criticize you, it's called religious freedom. If you return the favor, it's called persecution. But by repackaging prejudice as liberty, religious freedom is a magical backdoor to that happier time before civil rights, or in your case, the Enlightenment, because it's not prejudice if you call it religion. 
That's just a small bit of a, a much longer segment. Dear listener, if you're not <laughs> following Mrs. Betty Bowers, America's Best Christian, um, you really should. She is very good. Yeah, she really is very funny. Mm. Scott, I reckon this whole um, marriage equality debate is it's a bit of bike shedding. Remember we spoke about bike yeah. shedding in the past? Yeah, we did, yeah. Mm. I'm going to just uh, refresh the dear listener's memory on bike shedding. Um, so, whew, where we've got here, um, it's from a book by a guy called uh, Northcote Parkinson. Um, and high finance or the point of vanishing interest in the third chapter. He writes about a f- fictional finance committee meeting with a three-item agenda. The first is the signing of a 10 million pound contract to build a reactor. The second item is a proposal to build a 350 pound bicycle shed for the clerical staff. And the third proposes 21 pound a year to supply refreshments for the joint welfare committee. Uh, On item one, the 10 million pound number is too big and too technical and it passes in two and a half minutes. One committee member proposes a completely different plan, which nobody is willing to accept as planning is advanced, and another who understands the topic has concerns but does not feel that he can explain his concerns to the others on the committee. In relation to item two, the bicycle shed is a subject understood by the board and the amount within their life experience. So committee member Mr Softley says that an aluminium roof is too expensive and they should use asbestos. Mr Holdfast wants galvanised iron. Mr Daring questions the need for a shed of all at all. Holdfast disagrees, and Parkinson then writes, the debate is fairly launched, blah, blah, blah. It goes on. But anyway, Scott, it's the whole idea that people feel that's a topic that they can talk about and make a comment about, and so they do, and it goes on and on and on, and the difficult question just gets swept away and not addressed. And Mm -hmm. with all of the problems in our society, Scott, the the marriage equality one is... Everybody knows what it's either like to be married or they plan to get married or they can have an opinion about marriage. Like, it's easy for people just to sprout an opinion about marriage and what they think it means. But, you know, on issues of of economics and, you know, whether... Submarines? Well, <laughs> submarines, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Submarines, <laughs> but, you know, tax breaks for corporations and, you know, possibly going to war over North Korea and, you know, a whole bunch of just... Well, you know, negative gearing on housing, you know, like things that really mean stuff to more people in a more concrete way are just not discussed because, oh, that's just too difficult, that's economics. You know, you know presumably the economists know what they're doing and... It just goes like if you were, if you were a neoliberal looking to push through these issues of tax reform for big corporations and sweet, you know, contracts, you know, military contracts for your mates, you would love the marriage equality debate because it just sidetracks everybody on that issue, and they're having their bike shedding moment. And meanwhile, you know, the nuclear reactor issue just doesn't get discussed. Exactly. Mm. Mm. Another big issue happening overseas, Scott, is um, in the NFL with footballers at the playing of the national anthem and the raising of the American flag prior to the game. 
uh, dear listener, they're doing what's called taking a knee, where this all started when the uh, San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick decided he was going to sort of kneel on one knee during that ceremony as a protest against the um, killing of, you know, regular killing of black people by police officers. It was essentially what he said his protest was about. And now lots of NFL footballers are taking a knee and it's sort of happening in other sports as well and it's become quite the thing. Any thoughts about it, Scott? Well, I read um, something today that was rather interesting. It was on Facebook. It was associated with the... um, I can't think what his name is. Harris. What's his name? Sam Harris. Sam Harris, yes. It was associated with him. Anyway, it was... um, Somebody wrote and they said, um, Dear America, why would you... Why do you get um, so angry at black athletes who refuse to stand for your national anthem when for 300 years you enslaved them for the next hundred years you um denied them their rights and now that you uh now that they and then you get you you take offense to the fact that they no longer want to acknowledge your history and i thought that was a bloody good point um as to the whole protest movement i don't have a problem with it you know the guys are taking a knee rather than standing during the national anthem it's no big deal and it really shouldn't be seen as a big deal. And I think um, President Trump is making a fool of himself by conducting himself the way he has been. Mm. Yeah. I disagree. <laughs> you got something different to say, do you? <laughs> well, you know, it's a symbolic statement, taking a knee during the national anthem and the race. Yes, the it flag. is. If you're gonna if you're gonna make a symbolic statement I reckon your symbols need to be clear. Like, the, I don't see the natural connection between civilians being killed by police officers and the flag or the anthem. The two just don't have a connection as far as I'm concerned. Like, the, the flag no, and the they anthem were given, they were, mean so they were... much more about uh, so many more things that it's unfair to say, you know, I'm declaring that the anthem and the flag mean this and I'm protesting about it. When when the flag and the anthem mean much bigger things than that. I think if you're going to use symbolism, you've got to use a symbol that's unambiguous. And I think it's just, you know... Well, I mean, the fact that the guy took the knee on... He was from the 49ers, I think you said. And Mm. um, he took a knee and that sort of thing... No doubt someone asked him why he did that, and then he was able to turn around and say, because, you know, you've got however many African-Americans getting killed by police. True. Yes. And then it spread that the rest of the... that um, Initially, it was all black athletes that were doing it. Now I believe there's some white athletes that are also doing it. Mm. Um, you know, I think that the symbolism was unknown in that first protest Mm. but then after that it spread and everyone knew what they were talking about you know okay it is that that that's where the symbolism gained its gained its gained its power from was the the fact that they had to ask the question and then after that everyone took advantage of it scott i've had bad luck lately in convincing you on you know changing (laughs) my 
I haven't had a good run lately. So I'm going to play you a clip. And dear listener, this is from Facebook from a guy called Brandon Tatum, who was a black police officer who is uh, clear from the video on Facebook, is just sitting in his car in plain clothes and he's obviously just pissed about the whole situation. And without reference to notes or anything, he just starts with his spiel about this whole thing. And it does go on a bit, but I think this is very powerful from a guy off the cuff, just straight from the heart with his opinion of it. So it's going to take a few minutes. Um, okay. But we'll play a bit of this. So this is Brandon Tatum. This is, this is, this is my whole thing about this protesting and this taking a knee on the flag. For all you people who just seem to not understand, let me clarify this for you, okay? It's not about the act of protesting. It's not about the act of believing in something and pursuing it. It's the way you're doing it. I don't know how many times people have to say this. Listen, what does the American flag have to do with your perceived oppression? What what does the national anthem have to do with these issues that people are bringing up. It is a separate issue. The flag and the national anthem has nothing to do with what you're talking about. You're, you're, you're talking about an anthem of hope and, and, and unity within this country that have made people become great, that have made the poor become rich and give people opportunities. You're, you're just talking about a flag that represents hard work, dedication, blood, sweat, and tears sacrifice and the thing that makes me most upset is that you have these people who turn around and take a knee and want to attribute all the negativity to the flag and the anthem but don't want to attribute the positive listen if you feel that the american flag represents negativity and slavery and all this other stuff then you have to give credit and credence to a flag that have given you an opportunity to go from cornfields and picking cotton to being the president of the United States of America. Going from being being segregated, can't go to proper schools, can't vote, taking you from that point to now you're making millions of dollars to play sports. And you know who's watching you? White people. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of y'all coming up with these lame excuses. The reason why America isn't, listen, Martin Luther King had support, you could call it bipartisan support. He had support on both sides. From people in the movement and people outside of the movement. Because he did it with respect. He did it without robbing Peter to pay Paul. He did it with integrity. He did it with the mission. He did it with tangible goals that were achievable through hope, faith, and dedication. And unity and connectivity between all of us. These clowns are doing stuff off of trendiness. This is trendy. The issues they're, they're talking about have nothing to do with the flag. You can address those issues on a, at another venue. If you really care about black lives, you don't need to be taking a knee. You need to be out there doing something in the community. If you care about oppression, if you care about laws, then you need to be voting. You need to be putting yourself in position to, to, to assist in pa passing legislation. And one of y'all need to take the step and say, okay, well, I'm going to join the police department. Do something about it. Quit taking a knee and protesting and crying like a baby. Because at the end of the day, all you're doing is pissing people off. That's all you're doing. I asked the person, other, people cannot answer this question. What, what has happened since Colin Kaepernick took the first knee? What has happened? 
Have unemployment changed in the black community? Have black on black crime changed? Have police stopped shooting black people? Tell me what has changed. Has abortion rate dropped? Has residency changed? Has dropout rates changed? Tell me what has changed since he took a knee. Somehow there's more entrepreneurs, more opportunities, more jobs. What has changed? Nothing. Nothing has changed. Nothing is going to change. Stop whining like a baby. Suit up. Play the sport. Play the game. And actually do something about it. Stop dragging the flag in it. If you're going to cry about it on one end, but you don't want to give credence to it on the other end. I'm telling you, as an African-American man in this country, the flag means a lot to me. I honor the flag. I don't care if I don't like the president. I don't give a care about none of that stuff. I'm not going to disrespect the flag. I'm going to honor the people who fought for I can be free. That's it. If I don't do nothing else, I'm going to honor those people. Presidents come and go. Four years, eight years, they out. And I'm sick of you athletes. I was an athlete. I'm sick of y'all trying to act like just because you played in the NFL, you play sports, somehow, somehow you're an expert on life. You have no idea what you're talking about. Listen, you play a game. This is fairy tale world. You suit up, you lose, you go home. You cry, you play another game. In the real world, real heroes, when they lose games, they don't come back. Did Brandon Tatum achieve what I failed to do, Scott? Yeah, he did, actually. Yeah, oh. he, uh, he, he gave me something else to think about. And he is right that... Um, yeah, he is right in that the uh, the flag does represent those things about being moved out of the cotton fields and that sort of stuff to becoming the, is potentially the president of the United States. Mm. He is right. There's lots of good things. Yeah, just, lots of good things associated with the flag, and if you're trying to, you know, just take the bad without acknowledging the good, then that's that's not fair. No, he's right. Um, I particularly yeah. like the way he's just stuck it to sports stars as well. Saying, "Yeah, guys, you're just athletes <laughs> playing a game." Yeah, Stop yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stop pretending to be experts. Mm. There you go, dear listener. Have a look at it on Facebook. Um, and it looks like uh, Brandon Tatum. I will have to call on him in future if I'm to convince <laughs> the Velvet Glove <laughs> to change his mind. <laughs> That's good, Scott. It's good to know it is possible. That that gives me. <laughs> Giving me hype. <laughs> yeah, I'm still not 100% convinced of his argument. I mean, I understand where he's coming from and all that sort of thing. The difficulty I have, though, is that um, you do have this situation that... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm groping for? Uh, that, um, you know, the protest would never have been known about and people wouldn't understand what it was about if that guy hadn't taken the knee for the first time. Yeah, but his point is, anyway, you know, yeah. it's just virtue signalling that doesn't do anything anyway. If you really want to do something, do something substantive. You know. But I should stop talking because yeah. I'm going to talk you out of it, you know. <laughs> so, I don't have to, just to, so I don't have to play that clip again. I'll just stop talking. New topic, Scott. <laughs> Assisted dying. This is, um, this is moving along, this topic, in Australia. and um, It is. Hmm. In um, our two largest states, Victoria and New South Wales. Yeah, nothing happening in Queensland because they're just 
bloody hopeless. No, no, you know. Because they've got to wait for an election, apparently. Because, you know, unless it was flagged at the previous election, then they're just not going to discuss it and they don't have the, the cojones to do anything substantive. Um, it's really ridiculous, isn't it, that they're waiting for the election? Yep. It makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. Anyway. You know, old guys like Tom Burns would be rolling in their graves thinking you guys are actually in power and you're not doing any of the sort of stuff that the Labor government should do. But anyway, uh, in Victoria, a contentious bill to legalise assisted dying for terminally ill Victorians will be introduced to Parliament on Wednesday. That would have been today, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe last Wednesday. Anyway, with a conscience vote expected by the end of the year, people suffering from advanced and incurable disease, illness or medical condition would get the right to choose a doctor-assisted death from 2019 under the bill to be considered by MPs. Under the uh, scheme, terminally ill Victorians could access lethal medication within 10 days of asking to die following a three-step request process involving two independent medical assessments. Uh, they must be over the age of 18, of sound mind, expected to die within 12 months and suffering in a way that cannot be relieved in a manner the person deems tolerable. The patient must administer the drugs themselves, but a doctor could deliver the lethal dose in rare cases where someone was physically unable to end their own life. Uh, at first, an estimated 150 people per year are expected to ask for a doctor-assisted death based on the numbers in Oregon, in the United States. Three former Victorian branch presidents of the AMA have spoken out against it. And, um, Scott, the Andrews government, as we know, are not afraid to tackle issues. There's a good chance that one's going to get through, do you think? Well, we'll have to wait and see how it goes. It's going to be in a conscience vote, which is always interesting. Mm. Um you know, it's the way our parliament was designed to run was actually on conscience votes. So we'll have to see how it goes. But you've got to say that uh, Victoria's... Uh, if anyone's going to introduce it, it'll be the Victorians first. Mm. And, um, you know, it really does make us look even for, further backwards up here, doesn't it? does indeed. So, um, mm. But hopefully they'll get it through and it'll make it easier for the other states. Uh, well, one would hope so, yeah. Mm. I mean, because it really is absolutely ridiculous that you've got a situation that someone who is dying and that sort of stuff who's over the age of 18 cannot, you know, they cannot get a script for Nebutol, for God's sake, you know, mm. which is absolutely ridiculous. Mm. The interesting thing about this is it requires you to be terminally ill, um, you know, going to die within 12 months. And, Scott, personally, I could envisage a situation where I'm not terminally ill, but, you know, I'm incontinent and I'm just not enjoying life and I can see that I'm just deteriorating, but I could last another five years uh, and I'd like to perhaps pull the trigger on, well, or to take the drug, so... It's fairly limited in that it's only people who are going to die within 12 months. I mean, there's a huge range of other people who probably like the opportunity for an assisted death who aren't necessarily going to die within 12 months. So anyway, I I agree with that one. Small steps, well, you know, go for that and then maybe later on expanding it perhaps. But yeah. Well, you think it should be opened up to someone who's old, do you? Well, 
somebody who's old and ready to go, yeah, ultimately, I do. I don't think it should be necessary that you're terminally ill, so... Um, well, the one thing we're all dying from is age. Yeah. You know, all of us are going to end up there one of these days. Yep. You know, now I hope there's a long distance between that time and now mm. <laughs> for both of us. Mm. But, um, you know, yep. it, it, it could happen to us at any tick of the clock. And um, Well, imagine this, Scott. I can understand where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. Imagine you, you know, you're elderly, you're in your 80s and you've had a fall You've broken your back. You're now confined to a wheelchair. You're incontinent. Um, but you're not actually predicted to die within the next 12 months. But you've just had enough. You know, you might well say, I want to check out. But this is, legislation isn't going to help you because you're not terminally ill. No, yeah. that's true. So, dear listener... Maybe they, should, maybe they should relax it for people over the age of 80. Maybe. But anyway, you know, I'm, I'm good with them, mm. you know, start... You know, I recognise you've got to get this through and then maybe work... You've got to get this through first, yeah. then you can work on it afterwards, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, there's a Dying With Dignity website, dear listener, and it's got um, dispelling the myths and it just runs through a whole lot of things. So, if you are... Thinking of engaging in dinner party conversations with people about assisted dying, then this is the document to have a look at. And a couple of it really is very, very good. Yeah, isn't it's it? well set out. And uh, mm. a couple of highlights that I'll pick out, Scott, and you chip in if you if I skip any that you like. But uh, definitions, I'm big on definitions, as you know, dear listener. Uh, opponents often refer to euthanasia, which is misleading in the Australian context. Euthanasia refers to the administration of life-ending medication by a doctor. The proposed voluntary assisted dying laws in New South Wales and Victoria would legalise voluntary assisted dying where patients who meet strict eligibility criteria would be prescribed medication to end their own lives. It would only be in rare circumstances where a patient is unable to self-administer that a doctor would be able to administer the medication. So in summary, euthanasia, where a doctor does it, assisted dying, where you do it yourself. So what's really contemplated here in Australia at the moment is assisted dying rather than euthanasia. Did... Which I don't have a problem with. Hmm. I mean, like, if you, can, if you can swallow the medication, you should be permitted to do so. Hmm. Um, the uh, bills in New South Wales and Victoria are different to the laws in Belgium or the Netherlands, which are much wider in scope from the outset and based on a broad criterion of suffering, not necessarily linked to a terminal illness. There you go, Scott. So the situation I was describing uh, in, the Belgium, in Belgium or the Netherlands, you could uh, have an assisted death as opposed to here where you need a terminal illness. Um... People talk about um, vulnerable people being at risk of being killed off by their relatives who are greedy and want to access, you know, the estate. Uh, research has found that no jurisdiction was the evidence that vulnerable patients have been receiving euthanasia or voluntary assisted dying at rates higher than those in the general population. So in areas that have had it, have this legislation and they've had it for, you know, up to 20 years, there is no evidence of relatives knocking off the elderly to get access to the estate 
at a greater rate than what occurs even if there is no voluntary assisted dying. So that's comforting, Scott. It is comforting, yes. Mm. In Oregon, uh, in the States, which is sort of uh, um, front line of this sort of thing, uh, just 0.4% of deaths are assisted deaths. Um, what else we got here? Um, while the hierarchy of the Catholic Church is opposed to voluntary assisted dying, uh, the actual Catholics themselves are not. So that's true. We know that from statistics here. Um, 60% of New South Wales doctors support assisted dying. 80% of nurses support it. Yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? Because the nurses are closer to the actual people that are suffering. Mm, They're the ones really Mm. seeing what's happening and empathising with um, people. There's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 different polls taken over uh, the last 10 years asking people's opinions as to whether they're in favour or not of assisted dying. And just as you run down the list, it looks to be an average of about 75% in favour of assisted dying. So certainly the population's in favour of it. Um, In Oregon, only one in 10 patients who discuss assisted dying with their doctor go on to take the life-ending medication. So people want to talk about it with their doctor They don't necessarily want to actually take advantage of it. Um, And I think that's the main highlights I grabbed from that, Scott. Were there any others I missed that you... Uh, Just this myth about palliative care. If palliative care is improved, there'd be no need for assisted dying. Um... It makes the point that palliative care in Australia is amongst the best in the world. Suffering encompasses much more than just pain, loss of autonomy, being less able to engage in enjoyable activities, a loss of dignity, blah, 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 blah. The Australian Palliative Care Outcomes Collaboration report in 2016 showed that of patients in the terminal phase of illness, 4% had severe pain, 3% had psychological distress, 6.5% had other severe physical symptoms. So that's what you're coming out from people that are already in palliative care. Mm. So, you know, I think that's, um, that speaks volumes in itself. Mm. 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 So that's assisted dying. That'll be interesting to see how that progresses. Uh, Scott, we had a great conversation about, um, oh, you know, freedom of speech and when that sort of was in the sphere of sort of foul language, what we could... You know, how we <laughs> what you can and can't yes. say, yeah. And uh, well, we got a bit of feedback from one of our listeners, uh, Scott. Okay. So I'll just uh, I'll just play. It's a bit. It seems like a bit of a complaint from one of our listeners. Just uh, hey, here we go. Fist, glove, hard bottom here. Well, you two pinky lefto communist hippies have really crossed the line this time, and I can't allow it. Railing against the free speech of an anti-vaxxer just because he wants to save the public purse the expense of vaccinating little consumers, uh, I mean children? Well, have you thought about your free speech 
It may well be preventing Catholics from entering the glory of heaven and spending eternity worshipping God, sitting around on clouds and playing harps. If the Muslims want their virgins, let them have virgins. If the Buddhists want to spin the wheel again, well, spin, spin away. If Ganesh is hungry, let him eat lamb, I say. I'm going to stop you, Cheryl. Call the Pope. Fist, glove, you two have not experienced horror until you have experienced the full weight of a hard bottom crushing you. <laughs> we are in trouble, Scott. When... We are. We have we have offended Landon Hardbottom, so <laughs> Oh, the full weight of a hard bottom is about to land on a <laughs> Dear listener, you too can leave a voicemail message for us. Go onto the website, ironfistvelvetclub.com.au. You'll see a little thing on the right-hand side about leaving a voicemail, and it's dead easy. You just click on it, and, you know, if you've got a laptop with a microphone, speak into it and leave a message because we love them. Thank you, Landon. That was great. Oh, on that sort of... Uh, we'll rattle through a few housekeeping things. Scott, we have been sitting on 195 Facebook likes for about 10 weeks now. Uh, <laughs> dear listener, if you've subscribed and you're listening, uh, just go onto Facebook and like the page so we can get over 200. That would be nice. Uh, previously, I mentioned how to leave a testimonial on Apple. And that'd be great. You can still do that. But if you can't be bothered doing that and you want a really easy way of leaving a testimonial, then there's a link that you can click on that's just a testimonial for our website page. Click on that and you don't have to go through the rigmarole of iTunes, etc. Patreon, we have an account. If you like what we're doing, support us. That would be nice. Books, if we talk about a book, there's a book link. And if you buy a book through that, through Book Depository, we get a kickback. Scott, timestamps. So what I'm able to do now is uh, in the show notes, we say what um, time in the show certain things happen. And uh, if you're on the website, you can click on the link and go directly to that part of the podcast. So, Oh, is that yeah. right? So that's okay. handy, dear listener. If we happen to say something about a particular topic and you think that we've been incredibly insightful or perhaps incredibly wrong, you can share things on Facebook and say, here's the link to their page and you can fast forward to, you know, the 45th minute mark and go straight to the thing we talked about. So that makes it easier to share what we're doing uh, and that'd be good if people could share what we are doing on Facebook. So... So that's a bit of housekeeping there, Scott. And um, oh, a bit of an agony art sort of question came in as well. Um, look, seeking advice, Scott. And uh, just, I, th I think this one is for you, if you could help out on this one. Are you ready? Yeah, yep. sure. Uh, Leviticus uh, chapter 25, verse 44 states that I may indeed possess slaves, both male and female, provided they are purchased from neighbouring nations. A friend of mine claims that this applies to Mexicans but not Canadians. Can you clarify? Why can't I own Canadians? 
Um, well, I would have thought that was obvious mm. because Canadians are much closer to Americans than what Mexicans yeah, are. That's right. <laughs> so, White skin. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Uh, this one from another person. Uh, I have a neighbour who insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35, uh, verse 2, clearly states he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself? <laughs> I think you are morally obligated to kill him yourself, yes. Okay, yeah. noted. Uh, <laughs> my uncle has a farm. He violates Leviticus chapter 19, verse 19, by planting two different crops in the same field, as does his wife by wearing garments made of two different kinds of thread, a cotton polyester blend. He also tends to curse and blaspheme a lot. Is it really necessary that we go to all the trouble of getting the whole town together to stone them, as per Leviticus 24, 10 to 16? Couldn't we just burn them to death at a private family affair like we do with people who sleep with their in-laws? Leviticus 20, 14. Uh, I think you've got to get the whole village together for that. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Uh, Scott, um, okay, time-wise... Um, uh, interesting statistic, Scott. Um, in 2011, Public Religion Research Institute, this is in America, asked voters if an elected official who commits an immoral act in their personal life can still behave ethically and fulfil their duties in their public and professional life. So at the time, back in 2011, the category of people who were most conservative and who said that they're basically an elected official who committed an immoral act, you know, could not be, uh, fulfil their duties in public, were white evangelical Protestants. Um, uh, They rated... um, at 30%, only 30% thought that such a person could continue to act in public life. Five years later, they asked the same question and uh, the group who previously were least likely to forgive a politician suddenly became the group most likely, shot up to 72%, said that would be okay. And that, of course, was the white evangelical Protestants. So in five years they've gone from saying, no, if you're an immoral person, you can't be properly act as a public official. And five years later, they're the group who say, oh, it's okay, go ahead. And, of course, what happened in the interim, Scott, was the advent of Donald Trump. And this article basically makes the point which we've previously discussed in Democracy for Realists, that people vote based on tribal preferences and it's nothing to do with policies. They just attach themselves to a tribe and away they go. And these people attach themselves to the Republican Party and they're willing to just about go for anything uh, is fair game provided it helps their tribe. They've got no true ethics or morals at all, Scott. Yeah, that really doesn't surprise me. Um, It's really ridiculous, isn't it? Because you've got Trump who's 
clearly not the sort of man that you would think that the white evangelical the evangelicals would think of, but they uh, seem to be backing him the whole way. Mm. Makes no sense. Mm. Mm. And finally, Scott, um, Ken and Malik, dear listener, visited Australia and appeared at a few different things, and. Um, uh, article here, which was published in the New York Times and also on his um, blog, where he was looking at the Indigenous issue in Australia, having spent a few weeks here. And here are his comments um, about the, you know, he, he sort of points out the, the plight of our Indigenous population with life expectancy 10 years less than non-Indigenous, unemployment rate four times higher, child mortality rate more than twice, um, very high incarceration rates, higher than any other group on earth, apparently. Um, Yeah. He says that whatever becomes of the Uluru Statement, constitutional recognition is unlikely to change any of this. Uh, One of the points he makes is, What's troubling to him is the romanticisation. He says, today's Indigenous Australians no more have the same relationship to the spiritual tradition of Dreamtime stories as did those first first inhabitants than modern Greeks relate to the Iliad in the way their ancient forebears did. That is true. I mean... We wouldn't imagine that a modern Greek thinks of the Iliad the way that ancient Greeks did. Yet we seem to be prepared to say that modern Indigenous Australians think about dream time the same as yeah. uh, ancient Aboriginals. It just doesn't make sense. We wouldn't say it about the Greeks. Why do we say it about Indigenous population? Um, tricky territory, I know, Scott, but, you know, Ken and Malik, he doesn't shy away from these things. Um He says here, um, another common claim that Indigenous people have a special attachment to the land and a unique form of ecological wisdom. This too draws on an old racist trope, a reworking of the noble savage myth. The fact that in contemporary debates such ideas are deployed in support rather than denial of Indigenous rights does not make them more palatable. So there we go. He's, uh, I think it made some important points there that don't get made enough. So uh, he's brave. Scott, I reckon we might nearly be at time and the... I uh, don't want to rush too much the other ones that we've got left here. So we'll No, we'll hold them over till hold next week. Hold them over week. till next week and see what happens. So... Dear listener, that's us for episode 115. As soon as you've stopped listening to us, hop onto Facebook and like our Facebook page (laughs) and get us over the 200. And Scott, next week we must talk about um, Secular Index and... um, Yes, I've got two of those three that I said I was going to do, but I'm having a little trouble with Karen Andrews. So if anyone would like to... Jump on and research her. <laughs> That'd be great because, well, I found that she believes in God, mm. but she doesn't seem to be associated with any particular church. And I've found nothing that she's done 
that's either offensive or inoffensive yeah. to the um, secular cause. That's okay. I couldn't so tell that'd you. That'd be right. We was just put her down as a neutral five, um, believes believes yeah. in a God, and uh, leave it at that until further evidence comes along. So did you, did you have okay. any others handy while you were there, or, or were they in front of you, or not? Um, I've got uh, da, 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 um, that guy that was from the National Party. Yeah. Um, Who's that? Rob, hmm, I can't think of his name. Broad, Broad is his surname. Um, he is a Christian. Mm-hmm. He sounds like he might run with the with the scrotums. Yes, I'm not sure of that though. Um, the thing that made me upset about him was he's the bloke that actually threatened to sit on the cross benches if the government walked away from the uh, plebiscite. Uh, okay. So that made me think that he was probably doing that for religious reasons more so than anything else. He claimed it was because, you know, he had this undying commitment to um, the whole election cycle and that sort of stuff and blah, 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 blah. Um, So I don't know. And the other one was... probably a four on suspicion based on that. Uh, Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Probably a four. And then Chris Bowen, the shadow treasurer... Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, he is a Methodist, but he was he outed himself as an atheist um, mm. in the latest um, article that I found that said that he, he was an atheist. And um, the thing that uh, made me think, to, uh, one of the things that I always go to is the, their position on same-sex marriage. And he moved from being opposed to it to being supportive of it. So that gave him a little bit of a tick up there. And the other thing too was that he had made his decision after he had been, he'd made his, he'd he'd confirmed his decision after he had been presented with a uh, petition that had been signed by thousands of members of his own electorate saying that he he was um, supportive of gay marriage. So, A bit of survival um, mechanism playing there. I reckon that sounds just like you really a five. think so? Because that, that doesn't sound yeah, okay. pro-secular in any way, but doesn't sound anti-secular. So, no, I don't think he's anti-secular, yeah. but I don't think he's pro yeah, either. So yeah. that would put him at a neutral five. But there you go, dear listener. That's mm-hmm. all we need. Is just if that's all the information that's readily available, um, Scott will give me a couple of links for what he's found, and we add it to the index, and away we go. So it doesn't have to be. Uh, any more complicated than that. So if you've got the time, you can look up a few. It would be handy. Yeah. And I'll uh, grab the next couple that are on. I'm moving through alphabetically from A through to Z. So I will grab the next uh, couple after Broad. Very good. All right, dear listener, that's us for episode 115. Thank you very much. We will talk to you next time. Bye for now. Absolutely. Cheers. Bye now. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe (laughs) on their behalf on their phone 
and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.